What is going on, guys? Gary here back again with a new episode of Hop Talk. This is a special one. Our first ever live episode recorded live at Firestone Walker's Propagator location in Venice for the release party of Camp Blanket, a new Imperial Stout collab that Firestone did with Radiant Beer Company. Joining me on the show once again is Firestone Propagator Brewery Manager Sam Tierney for his third appearance, as well as Andrew Bell, the co-founder and head brewer at Radiant Beer Co. in Anaheim. While this is a much shorter podcast, we cover a lot of ground in this one with two guys who seriously know their beer, culminating in a cool live beer and s'mores pairing with Camp Blanket. This is a super fun, delicious pastry stout that I highly recommend you get your hands on as soon as you can. Much thanks to our sponsor, Firestone Walker, for making this episode possible. Let's get into it. What's going on, guys? Thank you for coming out to the release of Camp Blanket. This is a really special beer, and we are here today talking to the two brewers that collaborated on this beer. We have Sam Tierney of Firestone Walker. We have Andrew Bell of Radiant Beer Company. My name is Gary, and I run Hopped.com, where we cover everything awesome happening in the Southern California beer scene. And today, we're going to be talking a little bit about beer, about these guys and how they got into it, and really about this beer in particular, how it came to be, what makes it so special. And uh, we're going to drink a a little bit of it and uh, taste through and talk about it. So um, if you guys have a chance to order this and drink it along with us, please do that. Um, And then if you have any questions as we're wrapping up near the end, um, we'll kind of open the floor up if anyone has any questions uh, at the very end for this. So uh, without further ado, let's get into this conversation. Uh, I want to kick things off uh, talking a little bit about you two, your background, and kind of how you guys came to meet. So uh, let me throw it off to one of you guys. I'll, I'll pick Sam first. I'll pick on you, okay? So uh, talk to me about how you guys met back in the day. Well, I think the first meeting we attribute it was uh, up in Oakland. Beer Revolution. That's right, yeah. We were Beer Revolution Oakland. So if anybody remembers Beer Revolution, it was an awesome uh, craft beer bar right down by Jackline Square in Oakland. And um, we were both kind of in the online homebrewing beer geek community at the time and um, finally ended up meeting up there and having a beer. And uh, we were both working on you know getting into the brewing industry and kind of uh, having aspirations to become professional brewers so um, it was a really great meeting and I think just something clicked you know just like-minded souls with a a real passion for beer and brewing and uh, you know it's like it's funny just over the years I feel like you're one of the few people that every time I'm thinking about something beer wise or want to talk about something beer wise you always are the best person to bounce an idea off of or you know um, and are obviously an incredibly talented brewer and have done so much um, but yeah, so that was, uh, what, 2011, 2010, maybe? Yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, around that, so yeah. Um, so th- was this uh, was this post-college, like kind of where were you in the kind of life trajectory for you guys at this time? Yeah, so I, um, 
I think so. I graduated from UC Santa Barbara in 2009. And so I, I think I had moved back up to the Bay Area at that point and was uh, going to brewing school. I went to Siebel in 2010. So it was, it was right around that period when I was about doing that. And then I think maybe you were still finishing up school. Uh, I finished in 2010. Yeah. Got him. You finished up in 2010. So yeah. Um, yeah. It was kind of one of those things where, you know, it was like, I felt at the time um, there weren't too many brewers. I think craft beer was at this point in its trajectory where people, like younger people, were seeing that as like a career path starting, where now I think that's more of an established thing. But back then it was less common to find someone college age who was already like, yeah, I want to become a brewer or, you know, I'm going to school for brewing or something like that. So, yeah, definitely I think things have changed over the last decade. Nice. So you get this meeting, it's happening in this 2009-10 era, um, and both of you joined your respective breweries and kind of started your career back then. Uh, Sam starting at Firestone Walker here, this has kind of been your career, right? Um, And then Andrew starting at the brewery. So two very storied and important uh, breweries um, at that moment in time and still continuing to this day. Um, I was talking to Jonas the other day. I was like, what was, how did Andrew start? Like, how did he get this? And he was like, I think he just kind of came in and was like, I wanted to wash some kegs and just kind of, you were like home brewing, but like just wanted to get your start. So tell me a little bit about like getting involved with the brewery in those early days. So like Sam was saying, right after college, knowing I wanted to get in the beer industry, was doing banking at the time. And 2009, 2010 was a great time for that. Um, so I'd been homebrewing a lot. I won, I won a pro-am competition with a brewery up in the Bay Area uh, and was kind of helping out there and was actively looking for other beer jobs. And I knew Patrick Rue and Tyler King, who started the brewery pretty well at that point. Um, and I saw that they had like a very entry level packaging position open, which I applied to. Yeah. And, uh, sent in my resume and I got a phone call 15 minutes after I sent the email from Tyler King being like, are you seriously applying to this? I'm like, sure. He's like, you do know you're overqualified for this packaging role. I'm like, okay, do you have anything else? And he's said, no. He's like, well, you do know it pays $10 an hour. I'm like, I'm still on the line. He's like, all right, cool. If your background check clears, you're hired. So started at the brewery um, as a geeky homebrew, packaging for about three months, moved over to the wood cellar, which at one point in time, the brewery had the second biggest barrel program in the country, about over 5,000 filled barrels. Um, and from there, went back into the cellar, uh, was brewing, overnight brewer, and then... So I worked my way up to brewer trainer and then was the experimental brewer at the brewery starting in early 2014, uh, sort of running the pilot system and that sort of morphed into innovation manager there, which I had from about 2014 until I left in 2020 and was responsible for raw material procurement, managing the little three barrel pilot system that we had there with 14 different fermenters at certain points, all of our barrel aging program and blending, um, which handed off some of that once Taru became a brand. And uh, yeah, raw material procurement, new recipes, coming up with, at times, over 300 different recipes per year, just because the brewery releases about 160 different ones in bottle can. Yeah. Yeah, It's a fun, fun ride working up from 
basic geeky homebrew. I didn't I didn't have the formal beer education Sam did, but Got it. working yeah. my way up and yeah, and then left in 2020 to found Radiant. Yeah, with with Jonas, who you alluded to earlier. Yeah. So, from what I understood, you were a a fan of the brewery before that, right? Like you were coming into the tap room and and trying the beers. Like you knew some of these guys in already, right? So they knew you, and you you applied, and it's kind of like this really nice organic uh, introduction into into the job. And man, what a dream job! Like what you're describing now is like holy shit, like, you know, you can't really design a career path like that. Like, that's amazing. And it's, it all kind of starts like, I don't know, it's so cliche. You hear people say like, you know, you got to start small, put in the hard work, like sometimes take a job that might be beneath what your aspirations are. Um, But this is the example of like seeing that play out in a way that like you could only dream of, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think also working sort of from the base level of production on up, you got to see every aspect. Like when we started Radiant, I knew exactly how to program the PLC on our keg washer because it's the same one that we use at the brewery. Like <laughs> new packaging lines a little bit better than if I'd started just in the cellar at a brewing level. Uh, definitely, there is a lot of benefit to you know earning your stripes and working your way up from the bottom. And yeah, it was, it was a dream job. Um, you know, getting to basically do R&D and innovation and kind of doing to a certain aspect whatever you wanted yeah. on someone else's dollar, the brewery's dollar. But doing very creative things at one of the more creative breweries in the country is truly awesome. Yeah. A lot of great people there too. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a special opportunity. And, um, you know, I'm diving into history a little bit because it means so much uh, and gives so much context to what we're talking about today. So um, let's kind of keep walking down that history line just a little bit longer. Um, Sam, starting at Firestone, Shift Brewer, like where did you kind of get your legs in there? I know you spent some time after that, like uh, managing the cellar up in Paso before coming down here. So give me a kind of a quick rundown of like the timeline that you had at Firestone. Yeah, so it was 2011, started Shift Brewer, and then, you know, uh, we were already running 24 hours at that point. I think we just, maybe not seven days a week, we eventually transitioned to that later on, and now it, the brewery never sleeps. But, um, but yeah, working overnight shifts for a while, um, just learning all the ins and the outs of how all the large, uh, I think it's better, it's feedback, how all the large equipment runs, and um yeah, and then from there, moving on to doing a lot of our barrel work, um, union barrel stuff, um, getting into filtration, house, just all the aspects of production, and then um, then yeast management, and that was a big one. Um, you know, we were trying to keep this 24-hour production going, and we had kind of unique house yeast strain, so that became a big job in the brewery, basically, and so I specialized in that for about three years. And then during that, um, got to do the bourbon barrel stuff. And, um, you know, we were we had a pretty big bourbon barrel program at the time, or bourbon spirit barrel, all our non-sour barrels. Um, so that was a lot of fun working on that. And, uh, yeah, then sour management after that. And so kind of moving up. And, you know, the team was pretty big at that point. There were about 20 brewers. So it took, you know, a lot of, uh, yeah, you know, it's the less glamorous side, right? It's just, <laughs> you know, when you when you have that big of a staff, um, you know, making sure everything's going the way it should be, 
and uh, you know commissioning new equipment, putting filters in, centrifuges, things like that. So um, the engineering side's a lot of fun, but um, but then coming down here uh, about three and a half years ago, I kind of switched gears back into the more creative side, doing recipe developments, working on uh, new raw material experimentation and stuff like that. So. It's been great to be able to do a little bit more as far as that goes on that side. And then, you know, doing projects like being able to work with Andrew, doing these collaborations where we just get to kind of come up with whatever we want and then execute it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just so interesting uh, hearing the trajectory for both of you guys, um, you know, starting in kind of similar places, but also very different places, too, with with your kind of more traditional brewing uh, education um, and then moving into where we're at today where like you're managing the R&D for uh, one of the biggest breweries in California, right? And then uh, Andrew spearheading your own brand now um, launched in end of 2020? Uh, sold our first beers in uh, January of 2020. Or 2021. 20, uh, January 2021, yeah. yeah. So end of... The first year of that pandemic, mm, and, yep. yeah, and just being able to kind of spearhead your own projects that way. Um, so in a way, this trajectory is kind of like you see the your paths kind of alongside, then they veer off, and they're kind of in this zigzag pattern. And kind of we're back in uh, an area where you you're in places where you're running your own program. Um, you have a lot of uh, creative freedom on on what's going on. So. Um, how are you guys connecting now, uh, 10, 12 years later, um, on ideas, on questions, on collab on this collaboration in, in general? Like, um, what do you guys, is there a text message thread? Like, bring me into the behind the scenes of, like, how you guys keep in touch now. Uh, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of texting back and forth, occasionally vis- visiting each other's breweries. Um, I feel like anytime we just get together, um, we're just talking about, to a lesser extent, life experiences, but definitely beer and concepts and tasting things. Um, be it at like Firestone's Invitational, always catching up there. Um, either with my wife or your wife, kind of ignoring them and Lots talking of, about beer. That's <laughs> um, a good invitation. I was thinking, yeah. man, the Invitational, like we spent so many nights at the Invitational Campground talking uh, about beer. <laughs> You, you should talk more about it. Yeah, yeah, no, I was thinking, you know, it's the Firestone Invitational is one of those things where that was like the annual um, the annual check-in of like all these friends you have in the industry getting together. You know, GBF is kind of like that, but it's too crazy. It's too big. Right. Um, same thing with like CBC. There's always so much you're going to do. And the thing that makes the Firestone Invitational so good is that it's just, you know, brewers, it's all kind of distilled down and so many good brewers that show up. So Andrew would always come with the brewery um and then what uh and also we've come with other guests of other people too right? yeah yeah technically this last year is pouring for great notion right they're yeah. good friends of, they're <laughs> right. good friends of ours so um yeah no and i just you know we'd always be bouncing ideas off each other talking about what was coming up i i remember you know i think back to the first time you brought a hazy ipa i don't know what year that was but you were pouring a hazy it was maybe like 2016 or something like that. And I remember, um, you know, Mungish had just started doing them and you were talking about how you and Henry had kind of working out, oh, oh, we're bounce ideas off of like this new hazy thing, you know, the New England style beers and, you know, cause nobody was doing them here at the time. You know, it was like 
people were just starting to kind of play around with it. Yeah. And he was one of the first brewers to start doing it. And then obviously, you know, um, Offshoot turned into, um, you know, a really big brand of that style of beer. Um, so it's cool to like look back on that and, and think about talking about that way. And, you know, we were a little bit later. It took us a couple more years to, to kind of get into it. And I think it wasn't until... Um, 2018 where we started hitting it really hard that's when we started doing a lot of brewing here a lot of hazy ipas developing my needs um but uh but yeah i i think like i can think of a lot of moments over the years like that where this guy's always up on the trends he always knows what's going on he's brewed everything like literally i mean the amount of recipes that you brewed developing over there was is kind of insane i can't i don't know do you, do you have an idea what's the total uh, over well, well, well over a thousand, e- easily over a thousand, probably averaging high two hundreds per year for from twenty fourteen until twenty twenty. Wow! And then I wrote most of the recipes for twenty twenty as well <laughs> before I left. That's crazy. So, so you're talking a little bit about um, some of the ways you lean on Andrew for uh, the sheer number of recipes and the innovation side, right? So. Andrew, can you talk a little bit about like Sam's unique experience here at Firestone and kind of like what are ways that you try to pick his brain that you feel he's got a very unique perspective and opportunity to kind of share with you? Yeah, I mean, I like to think that I'm a technical brewer and then I start talking to Sam and realize that technical brewer can mean a whole different thing. I mean, just, I mean, Firestone Walker, one of the one of the bigger breweries in California, also one of the best breweries in California. And they just do classical beers and also some innovative beers, but classical beers amazingly well and just have so much so much support around knowing why something happens a certain way and just getting everything down solid. So my interaction or my what I gain from Sam a lot is, you know, technique, how something is traditionally supposed to be done, new ways of doing it, ways that are not necessarily how I'd normally think about doing things. Um, like I'm at the brewery, I threw a lot of stuff into beer, like yeah. to make things. Or I was playing around with like cutting edge stuff. And for most of my time at the brewery, we were not brewing normal beer. So hearing how to make good, normal, high end craft beer, especially hoppy beer too, at like the highest end level that you can. Like that's what I would pick Sam's brand out a lot. And a, a lot of honestly like German style lager production as well as like clear IPA production. A lot of that would be, and, and also cutting edge on raw materials too, between what Sam is doing and what Firestone does as a whole like industry leader in hoppy beer and lager, I would say in California. So that's usually what I was looking to sort of dive deeper in when we were talking about not weird beer trends or throwing weird ingredients in the beer. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that, and the the I think this is a great transition into um, one of the collaborations. So, just to kind of set the stage here, there's a double collaboration that we're we're talking about today. On the Radiant side, uh, we have the Kolsch, and then today's release is about Clamp, Camp Blanket. And um, so, I want to dig into the Kolsch a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Sam's experience um, and specifically the trip you took to Germany um, just a few months ago, right? So tell me a little bit about that trip and let's transition into how this Kolsch collaboration came to be. Should we also try some of this? Yeah, we should, yeah. Yeah, let's open it up. Yeah, I'm thirsty, so 
So yeah, Kolsch is a style I've always been a fan of. I went to Cologne for the first time when I was in brewing school back in 2010. Really quick hit, we went to a couple breweries and it was really fun because, you know, for anybody that's been over to Cologne, you know that it's a very unique approach to serving beer. You know, a lot of these places only have one beer. You know, going back recently, you know, a lot of them have expanded with maybe one more option, maybe like a wheat beer or a, a hoppier version or something. But, you know, traditionally it's basically one beer. You know, it's a light golden ale. And it is, well, technically an ale. And, but, you know, they'll make a big distinction there that, you know, this is a top fermented beer. They're not lagers in the traditional kind of sense. Um, you know, even though they would call them a top fermented lager because they do lager them. Germans get really insanely technical and hair splitting with these things. <laughs> so I, I tend to just think, you know, and the simplest way to think of it is, yes, a Kolsch's nail. It uses a, an ale yeast, ferments at a warmer temperature than a lager, but then you generally lager it to try to, you know, get that kind of crisp clarity out of it. Um, so yeah, I was really inspired by the whole thing going back to Cologne again this year and seeing with a you know, another decade of perspective as a brewer, basically what you can do, um, the nuances between the different beers there, you know, some are a little hoppier, some are a little maltier, some are a little sweeter, some are just lighter, crisper, some have interesting fruity notes, you know, so within a style that appears to be very tightly defined and like, oh, a Kolsch is a Kolsch, you know, there's actually a surprising amount of nuance and variability. And so, um, yeah, when we were talking about what we wanted to brew, you know, we kind of worked out um, the stout first, camp blanket. We came yeah. that that idea first and knew what we were going to do. And so we knew we wanted to do something to kind of counter that and be on the opposite end of the spectrum. So we have this really, you know, intensely flavored, higher alcohol, dark beer. And then we have this lower alcohol, light, really nicely balanced, drinkable beer on the other end. And, um, yeah, and so I, I asked Andrew, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm so familiar, you know, we use one Pilsner malt that we basically use the entire time at Firestone that we're big fans of, and that's just standard Weirman, and um, we have a great relationship with them. But I've always liked the idea of trying out some of the things that I hadn't really hold of. And so Andrew <laughs> shows me, he's got this whole list of all the German Pilsner malts that you get in the U.S. And like there were a couple I hadn't even heard of that I didn't even know existed. And so that's why I love. it's like, I found every obscure malt you can find and here's what we can go through. So uh, we found one that's uh, made pretty close to Cologne that, um, you know, it's going to supply some of the Kolsch breweries. So we picked that. And then, um, you know, we went with a little more aggressive hopping than usual because the one nuance that I picked up, my favorite one, which was at uh, Pethkin, and that was that it is a little hoppier than you think of. So a lot of Kolsch in the U.S. is a very lightly hopped beer. It's low IBU, it's low aroma hop, it's it's a very light beer overall. But some of them over there do have a, a noticeable hop flavor to the point where you really start picking it up. It's almost Pilsner-like. Um, and that was the one I really liked. And so we thought, okay, let's push it in that direction. And then, um, you know, then we pulled in a yeast strain, um, which was one that, I don't know, have you used that one before? Yeah. Well, well no, no, sorry. The W177. Yeah. No. Okay, yeah. No, that, so, was, that was your suggestion. Okay, yeah. Different cold yeast that, um, that had been suggested by another brewer. Uh, it's actually uh, Josh Freem, who is a, a big fan of that yeast. And uh, Freem Brewing, uh, his place up in Oregon makes amazing cold So we, uh, we picked that yeast, and yeah, really uh, happy with how everything turned out. So I would say it's slightly on the hoppy side for a Kolsch, but super crisp, dry, really 
nice clear malt flavors, you know, um, I think, you know, that my biggest knock on Kolsch in general, other than being too under hop, sometimes Kolsch have no hop character, and I think it needs a little bit at least, but um, it's a thing can be a little sweet, almost a little flabby, um, the malt, you know, isn't like really crisp and clear, mm-hmm. and so I think um, Andrew knocked it out of the park as far as nailing that. Yeah, no, um, th- this was really fun, uh, I especially like that Sam was like, let's use something that's not Wireman, because... Wireman makes amazing malt. Um, they're probably the most commonly used German malt in the U.S., but they're not very commonly used in Germany. Um, so trying to source something else was kind of interesting, and we ended up with Avangard, which is a small local malt. So we were also looking at Durst, uh, which are pretty pretty obscure in the U.S., uh, but it's pretty fun to work with, and it's, it's really cool to see a different sort of take on that malt. Um, that's just really light, lean, crisp, uh, which is sort of actually what the beer turned out to be. It's it's probably a little too hoppy for a traditional Kolsch, both in like hop character and bitterness, but I think it's very, very drinkable. Um, just a really, really fun, easy crusher beer. That's really fun that something that I was really into with doing the dual collab was Sam really wanted to brew, you know, stout with ingredients in it, which is something that's very much in my wheelhouse. And I've been very happy with our lagers, and like hoppy crisp beers and gradient, but I wanted to definitely do something traditional, which is seemingly more of what Firestone's background is and Sam's background. And him just having that recent trip to Europe, Kolsch made a lot of sense. Yeah. I love that. A little bit of yin and yang on uh, the, the strengths of each of your programs. Um, so I've never been to Cologne um, we, we talked a little bit about how Kolsch is this hybrid ale yeast, um, and, and I've recently become aware of Kolsch service, which is, seems like an entirely different way to experience beer drinking that happens in Cologne. Um, can you just kind of fill me in a little bit as like a, a, a Kolsch newbie? All I know is the American version of Kolsch style ale. So like, what is it in terms of the culture there? Um, and the drinking experience that makes it interesting and different. So yeah, Kolsch service basically is in Cologne. Their unique way of approaching things is they mostly have one beer, and when you sit down at a pub, either you know the breweries own their own pubs or they have it's kind of like tied houses where they're like, okay, this is where you know you're gonna get this brewery's beer, and they're all over the city, and you just ask for a beer. And they put it, so the beer comes in a 0.2 liter glass, which is like 6.7 ounces, I think, right, right around there. And um, yeah, as, when it's empty, they'll just come over and they'll give you a new one. And then they just keep it going. And that's basically how it works is you don't really order another beer. You just tell them when you want to stop. And so the idea being they're going to give you this small little glass of beer. It's always going to be super fresh. So your beer never gets warm. It never gets flat. It's not like, you know, you you know, they look down, you know, you go down to Munich and they'll give you this giant liter glass of beer and in Cologne they'll be like, this is crazy. Like, you know, the last half of your beer is already warm and getting flat. If you drink it fast enough that it's not, you're going to get way too drunk, you know. So it's not, so they've kind of come up with a system where it's a lighter, lower alcohol beer, comes in a small glass. So you drink it at the correct speed to keep it fresh, but not get too inebriated. So, you know, it's like, it's one of these drinking cultures where they've just, figured everything out perfectly it's that like german precision engineering not to get you know too uh cliche about it but they've really have figured out not only the perfect beer to session which it is one of the perfect beer styles 
you know, as far as just all the all the pieces fall into place, it's perfectly balanced, it's perfectly drinkable, but at the same time, they've come up with the perfect system to drink it in the perfect way. And you really have to admire that. And it's hard, you know, there's some brewers here starting to do it. I know there's some brewers that have done it, um, you know, and it's, so it's like, I get it, but you almost need to replicate the culture, you know? So yeah. there's nothing like, you have to go there and you have to experience it in its own culture to really know, because it only really works in a place that has the one beer and, um, and it's fascinating. You watch these guys walking around and they have these um, trays, I think it's called a Kranz, and it's it's got just, it's a, a wheel that has all the glasses on it. They just walk around, they just plop them down on your table and they'll just keep them coming. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it, it's a really fun experience. And I think, you know, anyone who, who's thinking of going to Germany that's interested in beer, I can't recommend going to Cologne, you know, highly enough. Um, there's not a lot of variety in the beer scene there. But if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna go one day and just hop around to a few different breweries, it's also great because the beers are so small. If you don't like it, you just tell them, "Oh, I was only gonna have one. I gotta go." And then you know, you only, it's only a six ounce glass. Yeah. On to the next place. So it's really fun because it's almost the most successful place as far as like um, almost going to a tasting room here where you can get tasters. Because in Germany they don't have tasters, right? You know, so you go to other places, it's like half liter minimum. So Cologne's kind of unique in that way that you can almost get every Kolsch in the city in a day if you wanted to because you're basically getting tasters. Huh. Or you can find your favorite and you can hang out as long as you're there, there all day. And just yeah. sit there all week. And, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's really cool um, of an experience. Like, so, I mean, you guys are, are familiar with, with this concept. I mean, I've, I've judged a couple of different style specific contests and wherein you dial into one style over the course of a full day or multiple days and you're having 10, 12, 15 different examples of one single style, you really figure out the nuances and the, the cracks and the crevices that can be explored in that particular style. I, I find that to be um, super interesting and it really just opens your mind. If you're having you know 10 different Kolsch you know, Kolsch ales, then you're going to see like who's a little bit on the hoppier side, like you're talking about, who's a little bit more malty, um, really cool stuff. So, um, you know, we're, we're talking about a beer that we, you guys can't drink right now. So you go to Radiant Beer Company, get that. Uh, but let's transition into today's beer. This is Camp Blanket. Um, this collaboration here, um, one of the things that I find really interesting about the collaboration program here is your um, your efforts to look at the strengths of another program, maybe pick out a specific beer and kind of see, like, how can we explore that or make an iteration of that or kind of dive into your approach there and do something different with this collaboration. So um, I know that Camp Blanket originated from an idea um, that you guys brewed at Radiant, um, I think within the last year. Um, so can we talk about kind of that beer and then what you guys drew from that into Camp Blanket? Yeah, uh, so the, na the name most clearly comes from a beer that we did called Comfort Blanket, which is a little bit different than what's in here. Uh, that beer is a stout that was in barrels for a year and a half and had some pretty outrageous flavors to it. But uh, I do remember Sam coming to Radiant. Might have been the first week or so we, that we were open, and we had a couple different lower alcohol, just stainless steel fermented stouts, not barrel aged. And I don't know. There's I hate using the term balance for big stouts with flavors, but there's 
there's definitely you need to pay attention to to a certain balance that you're getting at various ABVs and various alcohol strengths. So, yeah, making a big barrel-aged pastry stout, throwing a bunch of stuff in and having this huge intensity to balance the huge intensity of the beer and the huge sweetness is one thing and may or may not be easier. And then getting something that is slightly more drinkable at a lower, like, 8.5% to 9.5% ABV and still get good adjunct character without it coming across too sweet or too dry, too roasty, and kind of getting that good balance. Um, that's something that I have tried to work on for a while. And um, yeah, um, I, I remember Sam specifically being like, how are you getting these sort of adjunct flavors at this, at this ABV uh, and getting the balance of sweetness where it's not too sweet or too cloying? And yeah, just getting it very good adjunct character sub 10% alcohol without it being a mess I think I'll let let you Sam talk a little bit more about that yeah no I I was super inspired the first time I visited when Radiant opened and I thought um, they were doing a fantastic job with these beers that were super flavorful super evocative of the, the kind of flavor kind of combinations you know and I guess you know you could just call it, yeah, pastry style or, or, you know, culinary style where it's just taking something that's more reminiscent of non-beer flavors but making it work in a stout in a way where it's really harmonious and doesn't seem artificial or just too over the top, you know, and that's my biggest complaint with beers like this is that they taste as advertised and yet they don't really taste like beer. Um, yeah, they're just they're overly saturated, overly flavored, and the base beer it doesn't seem to be working with it. Um, but uh, Andrew was doing a great job with those, and so I was excited to kind of pick his brain about you know the approach to the base. I think number one, um, you know, and I had some ideas coming in. I I kind of I think I I pitched the idea of the s'more stout first. Um, and I, I had already kind of thought of that, and um, and luckily he thought it was a good idea, and. Um, you know, the base, I think the, the challenge is building the flavors into the malt, right? Because stouts are, you know, stouts are a cool style because it's a dark beer, so you're, you're going to have a lot of roasted malt, right? We're going to make a black beer. But underneath that, there's so much you can do. There's so many different malts you can use because you can use almost any malt in a stout. I mean, literally anything because it's it's all going to fit into into the color spectrum somewhere, right? It's not like lighter beer styles where you're really limited what you can use. Obviously, you can't use a dark roasted malt in a light beer. But within a stout, you can literally use any base malt, any type of crystal, any type of darker kilned or lighter roasted, darker roasted, anything like that. So um, the real fun in making beers like this is picking a spectrum of malts that really fills out that base flavor that makes you think, oh yeah, I'm kind of getting that graham crackery note. I'm getting those notes of chocolate, all that, you know, out of it. The toasted marshmallow. I mean, you can build in so much of the flavor just using the malts. And I think... Um, you know, that was where, you know, we worked together to kind of achieve that end before then moving on and saying, also, if you're going to make a beer like this, you know, you want to add cocoa to it. And, um, Andrew's also great at sourcing cocoa nibs and has done a ton of work on different suppliers and and all that stuff. And so we found a really nice uh, blend to using this that I think just gives you a really nice, rich chocolatey flavor. that's just like, you know, just that classic. I mean, funny s'mores, I, I always try to get geeky when I do, when I go camping, I, I pick like nice like single origin dark chocolates to make s'mores with and it's kind of almost like lost because then you go back to like Hershey's milk and you're like ah, it works it's classic right you know it's like uh, it just works in that um, 
But uh, but yeah, I think we got a really good chocolate flavor in this out of, out of the names that we chose. And then also vanilla. So we chose some Tahitian vanilla beans. And um, we ended up working with our local supplier in Paso, um, who has some really great um, cooks up there. And they're just like, you know, it, it's cool having somebody like that right down the street. And they were able to get us the variety that um, Andrew was suggesting he thought was more of a marshmallowy flavor. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. Nice. Yeah. So we're coming up against uh, time here. So I want to dive into this beer. Um, super interested in like the concept of relying on malt to deliver a lot of the flavor experience um obviously you're getting adjuncts in this as well so um maybe you guys can walk me through the flavor yeah so yeah walk me through what you're tasting uh yeah so um obviously it's it's a beer and not a s'more but uh (laughs) you you do get a lot of for me i'm getting a lot of dark bitter chocolate with sort of these vanilla notes that lean towards like a marshmallow character and then there's just that hint of smoke malt which is kind of a trigger sam definitely wanted a pull to try and get that sort of toasted marshmallow thing and um i have some uh some uh i don't want to say nightmares but some like triggered work um work stuff with working with smoked malt from the brewery if anyone remembers the beer smoking wood um, it was a great smoked beer. It was a barrel-aged smoked Imperial Porter. Um, but it had a lot of smoke, and it was one of the worst beers to brew. Like, all the brewers hated making it. <laughs> so it was trying to get that little light-handed with the smoke. But I think it just comes together really well. It's yeah. integrated dark chocolate. There's some definite vanilla notes. Just a hint of smoke. There's some richness also from the mal- maltiness. And for its ABV, it's really well-hidden. It's still very easy to drink. Um and yeah, it's it's just really nice. It has the right amount of residual sweetness so that you can keep drinking it, but sweet enough that you're still getting the aspects of a culinary beer of s'mores. Yeah. Any thoughts to add? Yeah, I I think that for me, um, I know smoke can be a little polarizing, so I I like to not overly accentuate that. I think because you know once you dwell on it. It's hard to get away from, but um, but I knew that component was there because you know one of one of the things that I I'm always thinking about is you know when you come home from a camping trip, just everything smells like smoke. You've been hanging out by the campfire and all that stuff. So the the beauty of, of beers like this is it's kind of the same thing. You almost don't notice it while you're there, right? Like so while you're camping, like oh the campfire, you smell the campfire, and then you don't think about it. And so I think that smoke beers can kind of be the same way. You pick up on it and you're like oh it reminds you of that experience, but then halfway through the glass you don't really think about it anymore. It's already gone and. Um, I also went to Bamberg when I was over in Germany recently, and that's the home of the smoke beer, the, the Ralph beer. And same experience there, you know, you go and you think, oh, can I drink half liter glasses of smoked beer? But halfway through that first one, you stop even noticing it. It just, it all blends into the flavor profile and it just becomes part of this deliciously balanced multi-beer. So I think, you know, it's just elevating the experience, but hopefully, uh, you know, it kind of fades into the background and that was the goal here. And I think we, we got that level pretty much on, so. Yeah. It's, I mean, this beer is super well balanced. Everything's really well executed. I mean, we t- you talked about the word balance in a beer like this. Uh, I mean, you can't avoid using that word. It's just really well executed there. Um, I think these beers can very easily tend to be cloying, a little bit overly sweet. Um, it, it just isn't there. The roast character is perfect. Uh, just that hint of smoke that helps kind of um, remind you of Campfire. Really great. I don't know if you guys are into beer and food pairings at all, but... Uh, we have this s'mores kit, so 
Uh, you guys want to try uh, a little yeah. s'mores kit? Yeah, take one of those. Yeah, um, so this beer is available in the brewery store across the way. There's a package with the beer, this s'mores kit, uh, this really awesome campfire mug. And so uh, definitely recommend trying this pairing. Any uh, Anything that... Uh, that comes out to you from the pairing. You enjoying that? I just have a mouthful. Of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I really good graham cracker. Yeah, this is really good. I think the beauty of a pairing like this is that um, it's um, it almost like makes the beer seem more refreshing because yeah. it's so sweet. You know, that's why I like pairing big sweet stouts with desserts like this because sometimes you think on your own, you're like, oh, that, that beer's kind of sweet. You know, it's a little intense. But you need the sweetness to stand up to the dessert. If you have too dry of a beer, it just gets completely washed out. It doesn't stand up. So this is the perfect kind of beer for something like this that may seem a bit intense on its own. But within that pairing, it's just great balance. And um, and it makes the beer seem actually like more refreshing. It's good it brings out a little more smoke. In it, my it, it brings out more smoke. Yeah, and it brings this out like some, really brings out that smokiness. And then it makes the malt much more melanoid and it kind of rounds off the chocolate yeah. bitterness. Yeah, too. this yeah. is really nice. Um, so uh, as we wrap this up, thank you guys so much for talking about this beer. Super exciting. You guys grab this at the brewery store.